Do you ever wonder how your favorite country artist got to where they are today? We had no fear whatsoever. In fact, we we probably made a lot of mistakes. People go, what are they doing? They're not ready for this. But we were so hungry to be out there in front of people that we probably should have spent a little more time honing our craft <laughs> before we just dove in. Did success come easy or was it a long, hard road? I wasn't sure I was going to make it at all, but I just kept like the little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. What advice would they give to a young artist? The greatest advice Elvis ever gave me. If you ever forget where you came from, you're never going to get where you want to go. Meet our co-hosts, Candy O'Terry and J.C. Don Valeris. They sat down with icons in the music industry, and you've got a front row seat. Welcome to Country Music Success Stories. Hi, I'm Candy O'Terry. And I'm J.C. Don Valeris. This episode may be one of the most personal interviews we've ever recorded. Born Loretta Lynn Morgan, Lori is the daughter of the legendary George Morgan and his beloved wife, Anna. Recorded at Lori's home, which is in a quiet little town outside of Nashville, she welcomed us into her favorite room, which overlooks a gorgeous backyard. It's got a pool, a barbecue, lots of bird houses, and a koi pond. And by the way, you're even going to hear Lori's dog, whose name is, wait for it, Puddin Marie Antoinette. Barking in the background. Mentored by the great Jeannie Seeley, Lori shares some advice she probably didn't want to hear early in her career. Jeannie Seeley was my big mentor. I love her so much. She looked at me one night and she said, put her hand on her hip. I guess she thought I was getting a little too cocky, but she said, Morgan, there's no such thing as a star backstage at the Grand Ole Opry. We've all been there and we've all done that and nothing's going to impress us. There is so much for you to learn about this multi-platinum selling award-winning country music icon. Lori Morgan is very raw and very personal. She just tells it like it is. That's for sure. We recorded this episode the morning after Lori's late husband, Keith Whitley, was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. So I asked her what that night was like. The evening was magical. Everybody was just so supportive and so happy for Keith. And it just made me realize how important he was to so many singers and songwriters. And the more I realized it, the more nervous I became. And I had nothing written down, nothing at all. And I was taken back to the back prior to the audience being let in and everything to see who would be presenting Keith with his medallion and was shocked beyond belief that Garth was the one who was going to present him his medallion. And of course, he cries as much as I do. And he came out and he uh, not only said wonderful things about Keith, but he sang, don't close your eyes, just him and his guitar. Uh, We were all moved to tears. I mean, my daughter She cries at the drop of a hat, and so everybody was crying, and I'm like, I'll never get through this night. This is amazing. I think it's so important to note, too, what a short amount of time Keith was actually making music, yeah, and the amount of people he influenced in that short amount of time. Well, like a six-year career in country music in Nashville, six Mm -hmm. years, that much of an impact. People like, you know, record executives and like Joe Galani, Joe 
when he fell in love with Keith's voice, it forever changed my life and Keith's life. And it was just an honorable night. It was a happy night. It was an emotional night. My whole family was there. Keith's brother from Kentucky was there. It was everything you could want it to be, except Keith wasn't there. And here we are in this chapter of your life, sitting on your back porch, looking out over your beautiful yard. And I want to let everybody know that the last time we were here, which was in (laughs) April, Candy O'Terry, who's been on the radio for most of her career, forgot to press record. (laughs) And we lost the entire interview and you were kind enough to let us come back. So thank you so much. I was, you're welcome. I could not believe that. It was the worst day of my life. And it was one of my best interviews (laughs) I've ever done. And I thought that'll never happen again. Yes, it will. (laughs) Yes, it will. So let's talk a little bit about where we're sitting right now. We're looking out on your beautiful backyard. And I know your husband has done a lot of this landscaping. All of it. Every bit of it. We moved in and there was just this god-awful big building right outside the window where you can see now the pool, but it was a hot tub and I'm not a hot tub girl. Anyway, it blocked the whole view of the pool and the view of the lake over there. So Randy tore it all down. It's beautiful. And he started basically from scratch. He's put in a new koi pond, just finished it about a week ago, and we're getting ready to put a fireplace out there. And he's just adding so much of me. You know, he knows me so well. He knows what I love, and it's my peace back here. I was just about to say, is this where you come? When you come off the road, is this your refuge? This is my refuge. It is my refuge. And this is the chair I sit in every morning (laughs) with my coffee And we sit here and watch all the birds. He's got so many birdhouses and feeders and hummingbird feeders. And our dog chases the squirrels around all day. And and yesterday we had one come up on the porch and jumped up in the cast iron skillet on the (laughs) porch. Like, fry me. (laughs) Well, you have been in this business your entire life. You grew up in the world of country music, the daughter of George Morgan. Can you take us back and tell us what was life like in your house? Magical. My dad and mom had a beautiful marriage. I think they were married for 30 some years until my dad passed away in 75. As a little girl, my mom's still sitting on my dad's lap and, (laughs) you know, them calling each other darling and honey and holding hands. They they did. They really did. And he would look at her and say, you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I had three sisters. uh, So there was four of us girls and my brother, Marty. We were kind of under the misconception that all men are going to be that way and all marriages are going to be that way. So when ours didn't quite go that way, we were like, wait a minute. This isn't what dad and mom were like. And we wanted that marriage. We didn't know you had to work at marriages and that you argued in marriage. We never heard our mom and dad argue about nothing. Never heard them argue. We had people like Jan Howard and Harlan Howard and the Mephises over and Gene Shepard and all these record executives. and, And it wasn't just they were coming over for business. They wanted to come hang out with my dad and taste the food that he and my mom would cook. And 
they would play cards till all hours of the night. And Christmas was magical. I still believe in Santa (laughs) Claus because dad said, if you'd quit believing, there's no Santa Claus. It sounds like an idyllic childhood. Yes, in a way it was. But as we got older, we realized this is not life. (laughs) It was a wonderful experience while we were in it. You mentioned people coming over to the house, other stars and label executives. Were you aware as a little girl that your dad was a superstar? I was. He was a superstar in my eyes and in my sister's eyes and my bro- I mean we all looked up to my dad like he was everything everybody else thought he was. And when he came home, it was like Santa Claus coming home, not with gifts but the excitement you get. And when he died, that star went out in all of our lives. And for our lives were forever changed when he passed away. It would never be the same for us again. You went into music as your own career. And I want to read a couple of quotes from some music critics. Her voice is in a league of its own. Lori gets right to the heart of a song with a throaty sob. She's a blonde with a torchy delivery. Lori is eloquently emotive. Did you always want to sing? Or did you ever feel like maybe it was expected of you because of who your dad was? No, I always wanted to sing. I always wanted to be some kind of entertainer. Singing just felt like the natural way to go. I always wanted to kind of be an actress and do some great movies and things like that. But singing just felt natural to me and was very kind of like a second nature to me. I learned very young how to play guitar. My dad bought me a guitar and bought me the Mel Bay book and said, teach yourself to play. And of course, I had to ask him how to play some chords. But there was a long period of time before I found out who I was as a singer. And I would blend Brenda Lee and Tammy together and, you know, I think it was Ralph Emery who told me one time, you know, you gotta, you've got to find Lori, you know, in there. And it took a while. It took a, a lot of records to find Lori. Well, you finally made your Grand Ole Opry debut when you were 13 years old. I say finally. At 13, you were the youngest person <laughs> to actually ever be inducted into the Grand Ole Opry. But your dad brought you on stage to sing Paper Roses. Yeah. Take me back to that performance. And what would you tell that little girl getting ready to walk onto that stage. Don't sing the second verse twice. Oh, no. I I remember, JC, I was so nervous when he asked me the week before. And every night after dinner, I was the only one left home. You know, my brother was in college. My sisters were married. So it was me and mom and dad every night for dinner. And every night I would get the guitar and I'd sit and me and dad would pass the guitar back and forth. I sang this song and he said, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you sing on the Opry with me next week? And right then I got a stomach ache. I was like, oh my God, I can't do this. I thought I was going to show him I was strong. I said, well, what would I sing? He said, we'll figure that out later. That whole week, my mom was finding me something to wear and I was learning the song Paper Roses that uh, Marie Osmond had out at the time. I can remember standing backstage and my dress, I had a long, it was a midriff dress 
the dress was shaking. And people were talking to me on purpose, like Lonzo and Oscar and people I don't normally talk to were coming up and talking to me while dad was out there getting ready to introduce me. And I thought, please shut up. I cannot figure <laughs> out what I'm doing. I mean, really, I was trying to be like, where so is the gracious. exit? <laughs> so dad had said, well, here's what we're going to do. Right before I introduce you, I'm going to look over to you on the side of the stage and if you feel that you can't do it, just shake your head no. And if you feel like you want to come on, give me a nod. And so after the commercial break, Dad was talking, and he looked over at me. And so many people were talking to me. I went like that. And so he just decided to take it upon himself. And he introduced me. And I was shaken. I was shaken, literally. My dad, George Morgan, joined the Grand Ole Opry back in 1948. He was known for writing and singing broken heart songs like Candy Kisses. So those are the songs I grew up with. And when I stepped out on the Opry stage for the first time at the age of 13, this is what I sang. Paper roses, paper roses, oh, how real those roses seem to talk about standing there in the wings of the Grand Ole Opry and you literally grew up yes, in those wings I did. watching some of the greatest country music icons perform. I did. What did you learn from watching them and maybe even talking to them backstage? Jeannie Seeley was my big mentor. I love her so much. She looked at me one night and she said, put her hand on her hip. I guess she thought I was getting a little too cocky, but she said, Morgan, there's no such thing as a star backstage at the Grand Ole Opry. We've all been there and we've all done that and nothing's going to impress us. And I'm like, she was right. And so many times I've wanted to walk up to people who we have to close the gates off and, you know, we got to stay in our dressing room. And I'm like, I want to walk out and go, <laughs> There's no such thing backstage at the Opry as a star. <laughs> and it's not. It's a family. It, it that's is. what it is. I've just learned that they're just people like us. They just do what I do for a living, but that's what I do for a living. And, and it's funny because when I married Randy, I said, you don't want to marry me. He said, yes, I do. I said, no, you really don't. Because I'm not that girl in the poster. I'm really not. I have mood swings. I'm crazy. I'm like every other woman. We change a lot very quickly. And I'm not that smiley little girl in the poster. Well, I can tell you firsthand that I grew up admiring that girl in the poster. And I've gotten to know you personally. And I think that the girl behind the poster is a zillion times better. 
So I can say that. I love you. <laughs> All right. Early on, you got a job working as a receptionist for Acuff Rose, co-founded by the incredible Roy Acuff. That eventually led to you getting some of your biggest music opportunities. How did that experience shape the early days of your career? And what did you learn from that area of the industry? I was the receptionist. I was still very young when I got the job. I went in to get a publishing deal from Bob Jennings, who is a great friend of my dad's when we were younger growing up. Matter of fact, he was in the A&R department that my dad was on. So I knew him very well. And my brother and I went in to get a publishing deal. And that day we got our publishing deal. He said, by the way, we we're looking for a receptionist out front. <laughs> well, I go out and there's this huge phone with like 18 lines on it. And uh, I mean, this is a multi-million dollar business. Right. And I'm in this whole big, pretty gold and plush lobby. And there's this phone and, and they're teaching me how to do it. And I'm sitting there trying, you know, this is not my deal, but I need the money. And so I took the job and I would sometimes wouldn't be at my desk when I was supposed to be. I'd be off upstairs playing ping pong with somebody or <laughs> back in the back listening to Mickey Newberry, right? The Everly Brothers would come in and Don Gibson and Ray Charles. And I was just amazed beyond my comprehension, really. And they would come in and they would sit there and it was like I was in control of when they would go back, you know, to see the Wesley Rose or whoever they were doing a song with. But I learned so much from Nikki Newberry writing. And I'm sorry, my dog is very vocal today. Very vocal. Tell I, us the name of your dog so we can all say it, hello. It's Puddin. <laughs> Puddin has a middle name, though. Puddin Marie Antoinette <laughs> is her name. And, um, and when she wants to bark, um, she does. I've got on my husband three times now <laughs> to take her out with him because that's what she wants to do. <laughs> but anyway, I learned so much about writing from Mickey. And he was one of my favorite people, my favorite writers. Up to the day he died, he was still calling me probably once every couple weeks and just talking. I love his songs. I, matter of fact, I did a, a Mickey Newberry song on my brand new album called What Will I Do? Tell and us a little bit about the brand new album. We want to talk about that project. Well, I'd love to talk about it. I've had laryngitis for about six weeks, and it's been really weird because I thought, oh, God, I'm losing my throat. I'm, but I went to the voice doctor like twice and had all these doctors look at my vocal cords, and they're picture perfect. And so they believe a lot of what my vocal problem is stress in my neck and in my throat area. Uh, shoulders, whatever. And um, so I've been getting massages twice a week and my road manager's rubbing my neck on the road, you know. And like, But I still haven't done my vocals to the album because I wanted my voice to be perfect. So we've got all the tracks done and then I'll put my vocals on. I also recorded a, a Larry Gatlin song that I've been wanting to do for a long time. And I did a Larry Gatlin song on my last album that I've been wanting to record for about 20 years. And this time, Larry and I are getting together and we're doing a collaboration event, L&L, Larry and Lori, all songs we've written together and we're going to go in and produce it and just make it an event 
because I love his writing so much, and he's so funny, and he's one of my favorite people, and I'm so sorry that I haven't got to know him through all these years until just this last summer on the ship. We decided uh, we would give our hand at writing together, and it worked, and I love him and his wife, and he's just a fun person to be around, and he's so such a musical genius. Mm. I mean, a genius. You hear him, all the golden cat, but you get deep into his catalog. It, it's it's mm, it's wickedly wonderful. Well, speaking of catalogs and great songs, finding the perfect song is like mining for gold, whether you write it or somebody else does. And we've got some of our favorite songs on the hit parade. So we wondered if you could tell us a little something about each one of these. Something in red. I hated it. (laughs) I hated it the first time I heard it. I said, I'm not even listening to this. And my producer at the time was Barry Beckett. He played it for me. I said, I'm not listening to this. I know what y'all are going to have me do. It's going to end up in black. I'm going to be a widow and I ain't doing it. I'm not doing it. So I didn't even listen to it. And then they switched producers and brought in Richard Landis. After that album I did with Barry, the first song Richard Landis pitched to me was something in red. I said, what is it with this song? I'm not, I don't want to do this song. I just don't want to do it. And so months and months, Joe Galani, Richard Landis, they were all telling my best friend, who was my assistant at that time, her name was Ruth. Ruth, you have got to get her to listen to this song. I'm telling you, this is a must. This is a career song. So we were out on the road one day, and I was in the tub. I was full of bubbles. I was happy. I was talking to her. She was in the other room, and all of a sudden, this boombox comes in, sits on the floor. She hits play and slams the door. Knew I wouldn't get out of the tub. And once it got to the blue verse and went right into the red I had chills all over my body. And so thank God for Ruth for being persistent and got me a career song, really. I'm looking for something blue Something real tiny, the baby's brand new He has his father's nose and his chin We once were hot lovers, now we're more like friends Don't tell me that's just what old married folk do I'm looking for something
We ran it before lunch, you know, one run through. After lunch, we came in, it was one take, and I punched one word in, the word green, because it was too far down in the mix. And Mm -hmm. it was a pretty magical song. And here's something funny about it. My producer at the time, Richard Landis, also had produced this uh, all artists sing along thing, uh, Roy Rogers album. He he got the budget and to do all that, and there's all these strings and blah blah blah. And he snuck something in red out to the session, and all the musicians out there, all the string section, that wasn't even on my budget. We used Roy Rogers budget and put my strings that's like a piece of country music trivia it was i was floored one of my favorite songs i didn't know my own strength funny you should say that song the other night on the opry i hadn't done it in a long time on the opry so i said well you know we'll try i didn't know my own strength and my throat's still not great i'm not hitting those notes like i want to but i thought you know i feel confident tonight I'm, i'm pretty sure i can do it and I walked out, and I always use the teleprompter. I always, no matter where I go, my songs are on the teleprompter because I'm thinking of uh, either the song or what I'm going to say or, you know, some, just, you know, my mind's a thousand miles a minute. And so the people that were on before us, their lyrics were up on my teleprompter. And I walked out. I didn't come in and at the intro they did da 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 da, and I'm like, what are the lyrics? I, I don't know the lyrics, and and these lyrics are up there. And I look at my guitar player, and I I looked at her, and I said, what are the lyrics? She said, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. So anyway, it took me about maybe two minutes to figure it out. Because my guitar player told me, he said, now don't forget, you got to come right in on this song. This is, we're not, we don't hold a one and you can come in anytime. You got to come in on a special chord. So I got this. I've been doing it for I've 20 years. I've this song a thousand times. Yes. Whoops, wait a minute. Somebody yeah. else's lyric. That's right. I didn't know my own string Till I had to pick myself up And carry on without your love You have done duets with so many superstars, Frank Sinatra, Dolly Parton, Tammy Wynette, Pam Tillis, Johnny Mathis, the Beach Boys, the list literally goes on and on. A bucket list item for you was singing your duet with Andy Williams and the New World Philharmonic. Take me back to that moment and finding out that you were going to have the opportunity to do that. Well, Andy was on the same album with Johnny Mathis and Tammy Wynette. That was Actually, my favorite album I've ever recorded, the uh, Merry Christmas from London. Richard Landis produced it. Charlie Colello conducted it. Right before we were supposed to go to London to record the album, I got pleurisy, strep throat. I didn't get to go. Richard's flipping out. He's got this whole symphony sitting over there waiting for me to come sing. So I couldn't get on the plane. I was sick, very sick. And... My voice was way down here, you know, and so 
Richard was just beside himself. He gets over to London and he calls me from the studio and they've got my key over the phone from London. And Richard knew my breaths and my everything so well that they recorded the whole thing without my voice. And he brought the master tapes back. I was well. I went in. I did get to sing live with Johnny Mathis. Then we went to Branson, and I got to meet Andy and sing with Andy Williams. And, I mean, I cried. I was just like, I've watched these people since I was a little girl, and I never dreamed that I would be singing a duet with them. When the spring comes, it stops snowing, and the snowman must be going Little snow girl Wipe away that tear He'll be coming back to you next year He'll be coming back to you next year I've been so blessed. I never prayed for, I want to record with Frank Sinatra. Oh, God, please let me, you know, sing with Johnny Mathis. I never did that. Those were just gifts from God that he just dropped in my lap. I was in the right place at the right time and or the right pew at the right time, (laughs) you know. What do you most wish you knew when you first got started in the music industry? Uh, This is a deep question. This this, this, this might not be pretty. My publicist is sitting over there saying, don't say it, Lori. (laughs) Well, I just wish I knew that people weren't like my dad. Not everybody's honest. They're not always looking out for your best interest like they say they are. I wish I had been more financially smart. I wish I would have kept track of my money, where everything was, where everything should have been. I just trusted that people were what they were face value. And one day I just woke up and they're like, you're broke. And I went, what? It was devastating. I mean, I had no idea. Uh, finally, after a lot of research, I realized I had this huge crew, two buses, a truck, and 12 people out there on the road had one of my credit card that they could use to go buy whatever they needed at any time they needed for my show, of course, supposedly. But before I knew it, it was gone. I mean, everything was gone. And I had to file bankruptcy, and I wish I would have known that, you know, you just can't trust everybody. You have to take care of yourself. You have to take care of your own finances, and that's one of my biggest mistakes. Your personal resilience is really what I want to talk about. You've been through some terrible loss and some heartbreak throughout your life, and through it all, you've been able to maintain a remarkable career that has spanned 40 years and counting. You're still on the road, you're still in the studio, you're working your butt off. Where does your strength come from? Well, that has to be a God thing. And Randy, Randy is my right arm. I I always tell Randy, I'm quitting, I'm quitting. (laughs) I'm tired, I'm quitting. And I know I can't. I guess it's a lot of prayer. I hang around good people, 
fun people who make me laugh, keep my sense of humor. My dad always told me never to take myself too seriously and always be able to laugh at myself and situations. And you'll find you'll get by a lot better in life that way. And I spend a lot of time laughing. Uh, My band all have great sense of humor and they're so entertaining to me on the road. We're not just like sitting around and we're all older. I mean, you know, we're not in our 20s anymore out there partying and doing all what we used to do. We play games and play cards on the bus and watch movies and stuff. So they are pretty much my lifeline out there between that and prayer and family. I mean, I surround myself with good people. I really do. I'm thinking about 13-year-old Lori Morgan shaking in her dress (laughs) on the side of the stage waiting for George to look at her and say, yes or no, what would your dad say about this incredible career of yours? I know my dad was very proud of me, and I think he knew that I wasn't going to be a scientist, had no interest in school whatsoever, and I think he knew where my heart was in music. And I remember the night before he had open heart surgery, which eventually cost him his life, him holding mom's hand, come to find out he whispered to her, if anything should happen to me, make sure Lori gets her chance. He just always knew that that's what I wanted to do. I don't know if he knew how hard it would be on me. Of course he didn't. He didn't know that or he wouldn't have wanted it for me. But I think he would be proud. The perseverance it takes, missing ball games, missing proms, missing first tooths coming out, you know, those are important things for me. But through it all, I've been able to give my children a lot of things that I would have never been able to give them, you know, and they're wonderful kids. They're hilarious. They're very sentimental. Both of them are very sentimental. Your son just called in the middle of our interview. (laughs) We had to press pause so that he could call. And I heard him saying, and I love you, mom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He always says, I love you, mom. And it's funny. He never knew this until I told him. But every morning, Keith would call his mom for coffee. Jesse never knew that until it started becoming a habit with Jesse. Every morning he'd get up and he'd have his coffee and he'd he'd call me, no matter if I was in Florida or where I was. And every time he calls me, I'm like, it's just like his daddy. And he didn't even know it, you know. So you did something right. I hope I did. Jesse's wilder than a buck, um, (laughs) crazier than a loon. Morgan's funny and sentimental and it's just a roller coaster ride with these kids. You know, I wouldn't want boring children anyway, but they're the best things that that I've ever done. Final question. And JC and I want to thank you so much for inviting us out on your back porch to look at your beautiful yard and to spend (laughs) some time with you again. JC, I know you want to say thank you before our last question. And I also want to say that, you know, I know that you had to give up a lot for your career and I know you've had such tough times and been through so much, but I want to personally thank you for continuing on because you have inspired me and so many millions of other people to pursue their career in music. You're the reason that I moved to Nashville and without you, I probably wouldn't be sitting here with you today. So I know you did have to give up a lot, but I'm so glad that you continued on personally. Thank you so much for doing that. You stop it, JC. Thank you. 
Final question. Fill in the blank. The key to my success in country music has been what? It would be my love for a song. Before y'all got here, I was laying there and I was singing in my mind, you know, just kind of humming in my mind. And I realized that it's not us that makes music. Music makes us. We don't really create it. it. It comes out of us. It is my love for music. It controls my mood. It inspires me. And I guess that is what the secret to my success is the song. There they are, Candy O'Terry and J.C. Don Valeris, two award-winning interviewers who are respected and trusted right here in Nashville. Do us a favor and hit that subscribe button right now and tell your friends about the show. Follow them at Country Music Success Stories and on TikTok at Candy and J.C. 